are live from the empire of lies, a free speech zone and an oasis of truth in a barren wasteland. And just outside the matrix, it's time for the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm investigative journalist Lee Stranahan, and joining us today is guest co-host Jason Goodwin from Crowdsource the Truth. And this is Backstory. Hey, Jason, how are you doing today? I'm great, Lee. How are you? I'm okay. Uh, I'm, I'm feeling a little under the weather, but, but I'll live. Okay, good. At least another day. Yeah. So let me talk about this. We got a great show today from Moscow. From Moscow, Dmitry Babich is joining us. He's a writer and geopolitical analyst who's written for all kinds of publications and RT and Sputnik. Great. Dmitry's coming at us in the first hour. Then the second hour, we're going to have the great Tyler Nixon from the free state of Colorado or semi-free state and taking people's calls at 202-521-1320. It's the backstory. So we got about 12 minutes before we bring Dimitri on, Jason. And I was listening to the show that precedes ours by any means necessary here on Radio Sputnik. Yeah, me and too. A rot- Did you hear that? It's a bit radical. I didn't realize. It's very radical. So they're on the left, and they're on, I would say, the woke left. Although I don't think they'd use the term woke, but... Yeah, I mean, I agree. I was a bit surprised. I did not know that. (laughs) Well, I'm going to, for a lot of our Sputnik listeners, they listen, and I think this is good. I think you'd agree. I think it's cool that Sputnik has a show like By Any Means Necessary, yeah. and then this one. Mm-hmm. That back-to-back, your head will spin if you listen to both shows, because we have very different ideological beliefs. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely, yeah. I was a bit surprised by some of the things I was hearing on there, but I support their right to say it. Right, and I'm in favor of free speech. And yeah. I think what is awesome about Sputnik, because, frankly, they speak for a lot of people. Yeah. And frankly, they speak for a lot of people who aren't even as left as they are, but are as woke as they are. Do you follow me? I do. And you know what, Lee? I think what the reaction that I'm, – I'm glad you're talking about this because I was like, holy cow. I was going to say something and I was like, nah, I don't want to focus on that show. I want to focus on Lee's show. But – if I heard that radio show two years ago, three years ago, I would have said, yeah, this is cool, real radical alternative perspective. The thought that came to my mind now is, oh, crap, are they going to activate people who are going to go like pick it outside somebody's house or do some other illegal thing that's dangerous? Well, there, a lot of people are activists there, and it wouldn't surprise me mm. if that happened. Yeah. If they went down to a protest outside of Justice's house, yeah. it wouldn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. But again, I like that perspective that Sputnik brings people. And yeah. I've known this before. A lot of our listeners also listen to By Any Means Necessary and listen to Political Misfits and Fault Lines. They listen to Sputnik all day long. Yeah. Well, that's and, good. I mean, that gives you sort of a cohesive alternative, a group of alternative perspectives. Now, if you think this defies ideological labels, because it does, it yeah. really does. 
Uh, let me tell you who else defines ideological labels. Vladimir Putin. That's and true. I'll explain. They were talking, Jackie Lukeman asked her guests at the end of the show, and if people were listening to that show, they heard this. She asked them why the anti-war left in America is often attacking Russia and Putin, because they are. The yeah. anti-war left, as Ingrid from D.C., one of our callers has pointed out, is against Putin and Russia. And let me, let me ask you something. Think about this. Think about, imagine a world where Vladimir Putin is not the head of Russia. But imagine he's an American politician named Vladimir Putin. Mm -hmm. And he represents a district somewhere, wherever. Could be South Dakota, wherever. Let me tell you some of his beliefs and mm -hmm. tell me what they would call him. Right. Because I think this is undoubtedly true. Vladimir Putin has spoken out against woke culture. Have you seen those quotes? Yes. He, and he, uh, he says woke culture reminds him of the Bolsheviks. Yeah. The early days under communism. Mm -hmm. Now, right. imagine a politician saying woke culture reminds him of the early days of communism. Imagine an American politician saying that. Would be a Republican. Imagine... Right. And, and not only that, I would say, no, no, be honest about the label, the way they'd call him in the media. What would they refer to him as? Domestic terrorist? I don't know. <laughs> An extreme right wing. Yeah, right. A radical white right, right? Yeah, right. That's white a radical right wing. Right. Right. Exactly right. But Putin, they can't call him that because a it's not true and i'm saying what's not true is that someone who disagrees with what culture is a radical right winger that's not true all kinds of people disagree with woke culture we've yeah. had caleb open and ted rawl and talked to george galloway about this radical white woke culture is not in even the leftist clear tradition. It is since the Frankfurt School, but it's not an outgrowth that everyone who's left is also woke. Yeah. They believe in identity politics. So no, I agree. on that one on that one issue they call him that. Here's another thing he's in favor of. And tell me how they label him. And I'd say they'd call him a radical right winger. He is explicitly pro family and pro-traditional values. Mm -hmm. In fact, in his Victory Day speech yesterday, he touched on this, traditional values and the enduring values of Russia. Right? Anybody yeah. who talks that way, they label what? A radical right winger, correct? Yeah. Yeah, they want the FBI to investigate the PTA meeting and everything. Now, he's spoken out against, he doesn't believe that people who were born as men and still have men muscles. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, should compete. Should compete against women and in athletics. Right. What I is agree that, with that belief? And what does that belief label Putin? Uh, transphobic. Right. And so now what I'm saying is a lot of the labels don't fit. He's also clearly 
even if you if you leave foreign policy out of this imaginary Representative Putin from the Midwest or something like that, I vote for him. On the, <laughs> on right, right, exactly right. And furthermore, Vladimir Putin and I. I'm answering the question Jackie asked her guest. Why doesn't the left in this country embrace Putin more? Because he doesn't embrace them more. He's not anti-capitalism. Yeah. Vladimir Putin is not against the market economy or property rights. Now, yeah, I mean, on the other hand, he doesn't think that communist governments should be overthrown. If the the he's in favor of Cuba having the government that they have because the people seem to like it there. You right. follow me? Yeah, it's stability. Yeah. And and also they haven't had an alternative that works for them. Being ruled by Batista and effectively the CIA and the sugar companies well, and United that's Fruit. It. You, you've just hit it, Lee. I, I would have to say from listening to Putin speak, the policy that he most supports is Cuba is Cuba. Let the people in Cuba decide what's going on, not Russia, not the United States. Let Cuba do Cuba. Right. And uh, I'll put it like this. Also, imagine imagine Russia was his state. He's a rep from the state. Yeah, yeah. His state Russia has a radical abortion policy. Can't do it. They have abortion, but only up to the twelfth week. Right. What What That's is radical. the law on abortion in Russia? Is it like only if the mother is it's, sick, or it, it's 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 legal, but only in the first trimester? Okay, uh, and and discretionary. You just say, "Hey, give me an abortion," and they say, "Okay." I I don't know that part, but I know they they used to have the highest abortion rate. In the world, Whoa. and they used to have basically anything goes. Wow. Now, in this country, the Democrats are trying to put that forward. You know, they have a bill in front of Congress. What that bill talks about, and this was pointed out to me, it says any time based on the health of the mother. Mm-hmm. You notice the ledger remain. The sleight of hand verbally that they did there. Yeah, they're leaving not, a crack for a lawyer to go up into. Right. And not the life of the mother. The health, right. Her the mental health. health, they'll be able to argue, they'll be able to do it. That's what they're trying to do there. Right. And, and the health of the mother is a much lower standard than the life of the mother. Right? Absolutely. The health of the mother, you, you point out, and well, especially it's if it's not defined. It's vague. That's right. it. The life, if it threatens her life, you know what that means. This this is an ectopic pregnancy. The mother could die from hemorrhage, whatever. you got to terminate it. Versus, oh, health. Now, like we said, we get into mental health. My stomach hurts. What is health? That's a very broad thing. Yeah. And and I think that, that that's a lot of people who are – I know if the what I think on this is if it were restricted to first trimester, I would have a lot less problem. I can get into the argument about life and everything else, but if they weren't 
trying to do basically infanticide. Uh, yeah, which I is mean, what that's, you, yeah. 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 Well, everything you're talking about, Lee, with this comparison to Putin and everything, it's that the left in the United States in 2022 has gone so, so far, right? I mean, you and I, it's not that long ago that even people our age were not comfortable coming out as gay. And I think we've lived through, like when Ellen DeGeneres came out, that was a big deal. And so you and I have lived through this transition from people really having to living in the shadows, living live in the shadows, living in shame, to now you can be the biggest star on television, the CEO of the largest company in the world. The restrictions on being gay in the United States of America, LGBT, well, T is a separate issue. It's just le- lesbian, gay, bisexual in the United States. So much of that stigma has been removed in the last 30 years. And I don't think enough people in the LGBTQ2+, whatever it's up to now, community, appreciate the fact that that represents a compromise for a lot of people, an opening of the mind to say, you know what, maybe I do need to allow consenting adults to live in ways that I don't agree with, but allow them to do what makes them happy. And it's like, there's a lot of people, I think, in the United States who are feeling like an inch was given and now 12,000 miles are being taken. And furthermore, people in our generation, I, you know, I'm 56, you're a couple years younger. Yeah, I'm but, 50. Uh, then a few years younger. It's a, a decent gap. But still, I'm like they the extra little care, brother in the straight hand clan. <laughs> even, even though uh, people, when Freddie Mercury, when it was revealed that Freddie Mercury had AIDS, right. no one cared. Well, what I mean by what I mean by that is, people didn't sell their Queen records and burn them or anything like that. They accepted the fact. Oh, Freddie right. Mercury, yeah, 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 right, right, and that right. People were worried right. about it, Freddie it Mercury, a, but it wasn't like, oh my God, he's gay. Right, and, it, and same with Elton John yeah. and other people who were flamboyant, and the writing was on the wall. Right. Even when they weren't out, come right. on, figure it out. Even Putin has praised Elton John and said he's a brilliant musician. So I'm saying society as a whole has moved to a collectively much more open-minded position on a number of subjects that are important to a large number of people in the communities that we're talking about. So now let's transition to abortion for a moment. This thing with the Supreme Court in the United States, it's just – in my view, Lee, this is – an amazing study in social engineering. Social media and the prevalence of smartphones and, I mean, this like chip in the brain Elon Musk deal were practically there. I mean, the phone is in everybody's face all day and they're chipped into the internet in that regard. And I think that the fact that people can't, there's a lot about this Supreme Court moving this decision about abortions to the states that people should like. The very notion that one federal body can make a decision that affects everybody in the nation versus now 50 separate bodies have to come up with 50 different decisions. You know, if you're a person that this is a hugely important issue to, you should be very happy about that because that means you've got a whole sort of smorgasbord of different views on this topic and you could go relocate to a state. I mean, name your important topic of choice, gun ownership 
you know, religious freedom, whatever. Not that the United States should be balkanized. But Democrats have shown they don't like choice. Right. They don't like people having choices. Correct. Clearly. Clearly. They're upset about the concept of free speech. Yeah. Did you hear Elon Musk said Trump will come back if he's in charge? Well, I heard him say that he he would reverse the ban. Did he say that Trump has agreed to come back or – Oh, wow. No, no, he can't. He's not going to force Trump. He's right. not going to hunt him down and make him tweet. Just free but, the account. Uh, right. Elon Musk is doing what he said he'd do. Yeah. And not going in the direction some of it appeared. We've got Dimitri Babich on the line. Let's take a short break and then cut to Dimitri in Moscow and hear the latest on the Russia Ukraine conflict. And this is an oasis of truth. We're not going to lie to you like the rest of the American media on Backstory. Back on the backstory, 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in Washington, D.C. And our guest co host today is the great Jason Goodman from Crowdsource of Truth. Now joining us from Moscow is the great Dmitry Babich. He's a writer and geopolitical analyst. You see his work on Consortium News, RT, Sputnik, Muckrack, and elsewhere. Hey, Dmitry, how are you today? Hey, Dmitry. Doing fine. Thanks for having me. Previous. Thanks very much for being on the show. So we were I, I, we were talking before, and I know you know something about U.S. politics, too. And mm-hmm. I was saying that I think Vladimir Putin, if he were a U.S. politician, simply because of his views on traditional family values, because he's in favor of them, right? This this uh, he's in favor of the family. Right. Oh yes. And he talks. You're right. He talks about that. He would be called a radical right winger if he were a U.S. politician, and because he's critical of stuff, he's called a woke culture, and compared it to the early days of the Soviet Union, the Bolsheviks. I think he'd be called a radical right winger, but I think it shows that that term is misused in America. It's a smear tactic. And I say Vladimir Putin is hard to pin down ideologically. He clearly hates Western imperialism, but he he does not criticize capitalism as such. Just he doesn't think capitalism is evil. Right, right, Dimitri? Well, let me tell you, let me put it like that. First, I agree uh, with the other speaker that uh, actually the Soviet Union Back in the early days of the Soviet Union, back in the 1920s, the Soviet Union introduced a very liberal abortion policy. It was, uh, you know, the women had the right to abortion. Then it was temporarily removed under Stalin, but it was returned by Khrushchev because Khrushchev was a real communist. I mean, he believed in leftist ideas and uh, he believed in anti-colonial struggle And in that sense, he wasn't far off the mark, because let me remind you that in the 60s, the anti-colonial movement had its heyday. 
So when when Khrushchev helped the nations of Africa, you know, such as Algeria, such as uh, Ethiopia, such as uh, okay, maybe a better example would be just Algeria, South Africa. You know, the Soviet Union helped a lot these countries to get rid of colonial rulers. You know, in South Africa, these were local whites. In uh, in Algeria, these these were the French. You know, the Soviet Union helped uh, developing countries. So uh, that was a leftist agenda. Uh, Putin is uh, from a different generation. And uh, let me put it like that. Uh, I wouldn't call him a very conservative, outright leader, even though this is the picture that the American media creates. In reality, Putin is not anti-gay. I mean, let me remind you that uh, uh, the American media made a whole hysteria around uh, the Olympic Games in Sochi. You probably remember in 2014, the American media kept saying for uh, months before the Games that all gay athletes are going to be arrested. You know, this is not allowed in Russia. Uh, I'm sorry, it was bullcrap. You know, none of them was arrested. None of them had any problems. And and Putin said that we welcome gay athletes in Russia. It was just not reported in the West. What Putin is against, let me explain you how I see it. Uh, I think he is against the new ultra-liberal totalitarianism that is uh, uh, basically holding power in the United States and in the European Union and in the countries like Canada and Australia. Because if you, uh, if you look at history, uh, I, I think you know that basically it's visible. You have the rightist totalitarianism, like the, the Nazi Germany, you know, the, the Nazi Japan, Italy, fascist Italy under Mussolini. Then I think uh, there was such a thing as leftist totalitarianism. By this, I mean Stalin in Russia, I mean Mao in China. And now we have the liberal totalitarianism. And, and this is very logical, because if you look at the history, in the beginning of the 20th century, uh, people had three distinct ideologies, socialism, uh, nationalism, liberalism. And every one of these ideologies was okay in, in small amounts, uh, but every one of them had a terrible bastard, bastard variant for the masses, for the billions, you know. Uh, European nationalism uh, had a bastard named uh, Nazism, you know. Nazi Germany was, was a terrible incarnation of uh, this perverted version of nationalism. Uh, great socialist ideas of the 19th century, which I still value and which are still valued in Russia and everywhere, unfortunately, they were terribly distorted by the people like Stalin and Mao Zedong, and, and they were distorted in North Korea, for example. And now we have a terrible uh, primitive version of liberalism, which is totalitarian, which is anti-historic, you know, it hates history, it destroys monuments, destroys memory. Uh, it, it, uh, it, it is very aggressive in terms of foreign policy, you know, attacking other countries, toppling the regimes it doesn't like, establishing what they call liberal rule, which is basically the rule of their uh, ideology, which has no, just doesn't tolerate any alternatives to itself. So Putin is against this new totalitarianism, against this ultra-liberal totalitarianism. And this is the most valuable uh, thing about him, you know. Uh, I don't know if you agree with me or not. 
No, I agree with you completely. And I'm very sympathetic to that view. I'm, I'm sympathetic. I think adults realize no ideology is perfect. As adults realize, you know, something can have good elements and bad elements. And it's fine to criticize the bad elements without throwing out the good elements. It's fine to criticize bad things without saying everything's bad. And Americans seem to have a problem with that. They seem to like being all or nothing. You're know, saying it's and so. Let me just tell you uh, how I, what I call totalitarian ideology, what I think is, uh, uh, why I think, you know, that uh, Nazism and ultra-liberalism and uh, Stalinist communism are bad. Why I think these are totalitarian ideologies. Totalitarian ideologies are the ones that interfere with your daily life. I mean, uh, there are many ideologies in the world, uh, like Christian ideology, social democratic ideology. Okay, they may require you to pay taxes and to be respectful towards, uh, I don't know, certain manifestations of religious beliefs. Okay, I'm fine with that. Uh, the, the, the difference with the totalitarian systems is that they want you uh, to use their language. They prohibit other, uh, other expressions that they don't like. They uh, tell you which countries you can visit and which you can't visit. Uh, they confiscate property from people they don't like. And they wage wars on the countries that don't agree with them. And we have it all with this new ultra-liberal totalitarianism that we have in the United States now. I mean, yeah. confiscate the property of what people they call Russian oligarchs. Yeah. Uh, who decides who is an oligarch and who is just a person who has assets abroad or not abroad? You know, uh, they they attack countries like Syria or Libya, saying, "Oh, these are dictatorships." Who decides which countries are dictatorships and which are not? You know, it's yeah. inspired that Colonel Gaddafi uh, knew how to rule his country. Okay, he might look pathetic. To Europeans or to Americans, uh, they might not like his dressing code, you know, his, his manner of dressing. He did not rule Europe. He ruled an African country where people just have a different understanding of what is cool and what is not cool. And he was removed and suddenly we have no one to run that country, you know. Same story with Syria. And, you know, if you want, uh, since we, we decided to talk about Ukraine, uh, let me tell you, uh, a lot of people in Russia legally oppose the decision to to invade Ukraine. And the word war is used in Russia. Don't believe the Western media that not used. It was recommended uh, to use the word military operation in the beginning because Russia didn't use all the weapons that it had uh, against uh, the Ukrainian regime. Because if we used all the weapons... You know, uh, millions would be killed, and of course the regime would be removed in two days or maybe in two hours. That would be too cruel and uh, awful. So the Russia did not use even one-tenth of its uh, fighting capacity, and it's trying to remove that regime in a, in a soft, uh, not, not painless, but in the softest manner possible. Surgically. Well, this regime in Ukraine, just let me tell you, they prohibited Gorbachev from revisiting their country. Not only my friends, journalists or simple Russian citizens, millions of whom have families in Ukraine, 
not only they couldn't visit Ukraine, Gorbachev was not allowed to visit it. The person to whom Ukraine basically owns its independence. So sorry, I, I was just explaining my 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 biggest feelings right now. Now now I'm ready for your questions. <laughs> no, 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 it's a great analysis. Brilliant. And, and, and yeah. thanks so much, Dimitri. Yeah, what were you saying, Jason? It was just brilliant. I mean, Dimitri, I have not heard a more concise or uh, thought-provoking analysis. I mean, that was just – I'm blown away. You're, I agree with what you're saying completely. And I think the thing is a lot of Americans would actually agree with that. I think a lot of Americans, they have a, uh, they're fooled by this stuff, but really they agree – with a lot of that stuff. A lot of Americans don't like imperialism and have a live and let live attitude towards other countries, but we're dragged into it. By, now, let me ask you, you're in Moscow. What is daily life? Because I'll ask you why I'm asking. I've looked up some YouTube videos. I, I was uh, looking up restaurants in Moscow, believe it or not. And White Rabbit looks very good, but let me say. But... <laughs> I was I was looking at uh, people talking about daily life, and obviously McDonald's and some companies that are Western companies that pulled out of Russia, but they were talking about are the shelves empty when you go to the grocery store? Are the shelves empty? Because I'll tell you before you answer, lots of Americans yeah. when they go, Jason, you've seen empty shelves in America. Yes, at Whole right? Foods in New York City. It's like, wait a minute, with only one flavor of tomato sauce? What the hell's going on? Right. At Walmart, I've seen weird shortages yeah. where part of shelves are empty. Right. That should be stuff. So, Dimitri, what's day-to-day life for Moscovites? You know, it's amazing, but uh, this is basically Putin's main victory. Despite all the threats that we heard from the United States and from the European Union, uh, the living standard indeed has not fallen. I mean, Donald shut down, but there are dozens of other uh, uh, fast food companies yeah. who are ready to provide you, you know, hamburgers uh, and such like things, you know. Yeah. Uh, that sense, uh, it's amazing, you know, that the ruble exchange rate to dollar has not fallen. Indeed, it even, uh, it even improved a little bit since uh, February 24th. It was a moment when it fell, but it lasted for just one week. And, uh, and I see a very deep uh, truth behind it. You know, you asked me about capitalism. Let me tell you, Soviet Union was not defeated by capitalism. Soviet Union was defeated by absence of market economy. So in the Soviet Union, if you wanted to produce something, uh, you had to have an order from the state. Basically, only the state produced things. And that made the Soviet Union very vulnerable. Because if the West held certain Commodity, you know, like if the West didn't sell us, uh, I don't know, yogurts, you know, it, it meant that people would live without yogurt for at least several months before the state uh, takes the decision to produce uh, this yogurt. Uh, and then it will produce it in huge amounts, uh, you know, millions of yogurts uh, of the same variety and, and people would not. 
No, like 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 you told me, you know, like uh, the, the the tomato sauce. Of, yeah. Uh, of the same sort. So let me tell you, in my view, these are two different things: capitalism and market economy. Capitalism tends towards monopoly. And this is what makes people's life hard. Monopoly. Mm. When you have just one company producing, I don't know, software like Microsoft, and, and it basically, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it squeezes money out of you. <laughs> you. You can't work without paying them money because they're the monopolist. Yeah. Uh, and, and market economy is when you have lots of producers, you know, ready to satisfy your demands. We have a market economy in Russia. And suddenly, suddenly, Russia cracked up to be much more resilient to Western sanctions than the Soviet Union was. Russia is smaller, yes. But uh, if McDonald's shuts down, there's a dozen Russian, Chinese, you know, uh, uh, Georgian companies <laughs> ready to provide food, you know, uh, yeah. fast food. Uh, and uh, and in that sense, it's, it's a completely new story. And the problem with uh, American media, the problem with American politicians, is that they are fighting the old enemy. They're like bad generals who keep fighting the old wars. <laughs> when when the when uh, uh, the war uh, you know technology has changed, uh, like in the during the World War Two, the generals were bracing up for something like World War One, right? Uh, during the World War One, the generals were bracing up for the war between France and Germany in 1870. The same story here. They say, oh, we will hit the oligarchs. We will hit Putin's family. You know, we won't allow them to live abroad in the West, and that will make them unhappy. No, in today's world, uh, you can have an excellent life in Russia, you know, uh, basically with all the perks of... Uh, uh, of life in France or Germany, you know, there are lots of nice places. Or, or you can live in the, in a country like United Arab Emirates, where basically you can have the same services as in the West, even better, and you can have more luxury there than in the United States. So it's a new world; it's a different world. But uh, Joe Biden obviously lives in the 1980s, so he still thinks he can make Russians. You know, uh, uh, humiliate themselves if he cuts them. I don't know um, uh, hamburgers from McDonald's, or if he uh, if he uh, prohibits uh, U.S. banks to lend lend us money. No, it's a new world. Now, Dimitri, Dimitri, what what was I Dimitri, I know it's almost midnight there. I know it's very late there, and it's great to have you on. Can we possibly hold you? Can you stay with us till the end of the hour? I'm ready. I mean, I'm happy with you guys because right. the, oh, the, no, we're better to listen to your programs. I'm your fan. <laughs> <laughs> no, th thank you. I, we're fans too. And it's been a great conversation. Yeah. I want to talk about something that's in the headlines today related to economics. Uh, Ukraine announced they're going to cut off Russian oil to Europe. Correct? They've said they're not going to send any more Russian oil through Ukraine to Europe. It seems to me that's not going to hurt Russia, particularly. That's really going to hurt Europe. Yeah. Dimitri, what is your take on that? 
Well, uh, the European Union keeps talking about embargoes. Uh, they are not ready for a natural gas embargo because they need natural gas, but uh, they are talking about oil embargo. That may uh, may be unpleasant for Russia, but you're right. First, it will hit Europe, and it will hit Ukraine because Ukraine gets money. Right. From, uh, transiting, you know, the Russian oil and gas to Europe. Let me remind you why uh, Biden was so much against this new uh, pipeline, you know, Nord Stream 2, Russian pipeline to Germany, which runs through the Baltic Sea. It was Biden did not want Ukraine to lose transit money, mm. Russian gas. And, and uh, even now with this war going on, Ukraine continues to get money from Russia for transiting Russian gas Europe. Uh, it's a very strange war, you know. Uh, a lot of economic continues despite it is uh, on the ground. Uh, and uh, and uh, uh, why I think in the end uh, the European Union suffer more than Russia. I mean, look at the map. What is the European Union? It's a big peninsula. Uh, uh, stretching from a huge, huge continent called Eurasia. Most of Eurasia is Russia, okay? <laughs> you imagine the map, right? Yeah. So you imagine that this peninsula says, we're not going to take any natural resources from, from the continent. We're not going to take any oil from them. We're not going to take any gas. We're not going to, uh, you know, forget about its existence. Like, can you imagine the United States forgets about the existence of Latin America, Canada, and says, oh, we will sustain ourselves by our own resources. Or maybe also by something that we take from China, you know, bring it to us by. Uh, that's going to be an economic disaster. And, uh, and it's going to be the disaster primarily for the small, the small part <laughs> of the equation, right? For the, the entity that refuses to use uh, the natural resources of, of the big, right? Uh, so I, I think the, Soviet, uh, the the European Union is going to hurt itself, uh, and in many ways. By the way, European Union and the United States now behave like the Soviet Union in its worst years. I mean, look at Joe Biden. He reminds me of Brezhnev, his last months uh, of life. Uh, he's completely inadequate. And uh, and uh, also this idea uh, in the European Union that, okay, we may have a hard life, we may hit our own economy. That's not important. What is important, make their life difficult. Yeah. We hurt them. <laughs> we, are yeah. to, uh, we are ready to be hungry, but they're going to lose some money. So th this kind of attitude is uh, uh, the worst reminds me of the worst times of the Soviet Union. Yeah, the, the expression in English is cutting off your own nose to spite your face. That's what Europe is doing. Ha ha, nose. Enjoy that. <laughs> but now, Dimitri, Dimitri, yesterday, of course, was Victory Day. And I saw a very moving footage that in Mariupol, in Ukraine, they had a parade for the first time, I understand, in eight years. Did you see that footage? Uh, well, 
Did you hear me? I also watched it on television. Yes, yes. Yes, I saw, I saw the footage, and it was very moving. And it cut, cuts completely against the West narrative on Mariupol. Mariupol, they're talking about the Ukrainians defending Mariupol, the Nazis there. They're saying they're defending Mariupol, and they're protecting their freedom. But obviously, when I saw the Victory Day Parade in Mariupol, and I saw what looked like thousands of people in the street. You are absolutely correct. But, right. It seems to me they're free now. They're free because the Ukrainians are pinned down in the catacombs. Talk about that, Dimitri. Uh, well, uh, let, uh, let me uh, remind our American listeners. I mean, I... I can ask you to look at the American newspapers from 2014 and from 2010. And even in these newspapers, it was reported that President Yanukovych was elected to power by people from Donetsk region, which includes Mariupol. And people in Mariupol voted for Yanukovych, like 90% of them, right? He is, uh, Yanukovych himself is from Donbass, from the east. So when he was violently removed from power in 2014, you remember how the United States supported that violent coup in in uh, in Ukraine. Yeah. I mean, it was not a military coup; it was a semi-military. You know, the, the mob with sticks and stones, and some of them with hunting rifles, entered the parliament's building, and suddenly the parliament started issuing completely different. Uh, documents, uh, <laughs> of course, because these people entered the building, and and uh, President Yanukovych had to flee, saving his life. I mean, a lot of people uh, scolded him for that. Uh, I also, I'm not his fan, but I think everyone, including the president, has the right to leave. So when when uh, a crowd wants to kill you, yeah. <laughs> crime, you know, you you are, you, are, uh, you have the right to save your life, even if you are the president. So uh, Mariupol voted for Yanukovych in uh, in spring 2014. Mariupol, just like other cities in Donbas, held a referendum on federalizing Ukraine so that they would have a special status. They, they could preserve their ties to Russia. Mariupol is a Russian-speaking city. You can check it uh, with American newspapers from 2014, from 2010, when Yanukovych was elected. And and now the American media says, oh, these people, they, they all became Ukrainian patriots during these eight years. They love uh, the, the regime in Kiev, which removed their president, which cut them from their relatives living uh, on the territory of Donetsk People's Republic, right? Uh, very often, you know, there are father and son who have not seen each other for eight years. You know, there are brother and sister who have not seen each other for eight years. They live 10 kilometers away from each other. But there was a dividing line, right? So, uh, and, and the Western media is trying to persuade us. These civilians, they all wanted to be controlled by, by this regime, right? Uh, they all loved Azov Battalion, uh, which uh, prohibited them to speak Russian, their language, uh, native language. That they all voluntarily went underground with Azov, you know, thousands of them. They were hiding underground, waiting for, uh, for the storming or for some kind of weapon to be used against them. 
this is bullcrap, I'm sorry. <laughs> the, the Azov uses uh, civilians as human shields. And, uh, and the Azov uh, battalion, you know, they, the reason why so many buildings are destroyed is because Azov battalion, they, they got into people's apartments, use them as submachine gun, uh, you know, outposts. And uh, it's obvious for anyone uh, who, who, who has a logic and who you don't even have to go there and uh, interview people. It's obvious. Would you like someone, even if you support some uh, army, right? Would you like them to put a submachine gun in your apartment, right? And uh, to resist uh, <laughs> shooting from your window? No, <laughs> you would not allow uh, outsiders into your apartment unless they used violence against you, right? Uh, telling you that they would shoot you uh, unless you let them into the apartment. And that's what happened in Mariupol. So it's it's obvious that uh, uh, the city is pro-Russian and it has been pro-Russian for many years. And uh, okay, maybe some people uh, maybe some people feel bitter because you know when you see such terrible fighting, when you see uh, basically the city being destroyed. Maybe uh, Azov battalion is, uh, bears the most of the blame, but still, you know, I understand that people have bitter feelings. But still, uh, a lot of them, I think the majority, felt like they were liberated, and that's why they went to this Victory Day celebration. Remember, they were prohibited from doing so for eight years. For eight oh. years, it was prohibited use uh, the, the communist symbols, uh, you know, the symbols of the Soviet Union, because. The, the new regime did not allow it. And, and people remember that Germans were driven out by people with communist symbols. And these people were their relatives. They spoke the same language. So, of course, uh, it's very emotional now for them to begin the Victory Day celebrations. You know, Dimitri, one of and the tricks I see Western journalists using all the time to villainize Putin and Russia is they, you know, any commentary they're making about an alleged quote from Putin is an English translation of what he's said. And frequently they'll use a translation that maybe is not exactly what it means in Russian. And something that they've attributed to him is they say that Putin is trying to recreate the Soviet Union. What do you say to that? Is that correct or incorrect? Uh, well, it's absolutely correct, and uh, I encourage uh, our listeners uh, to try to find uh, speeches in full and to just listen to them in full to get the translation. Don't uh, believe the quotes, uh, and of course, don't believe the interpretations uh, yeah. of Western media. But in general, let me tell you something about this demonization leaders, uh, political, uh, unwanted political leaders by Western media. Uh, this is a very vicious activity because let me tell you how these totalitarian regimes attacked other countries. You know, the Nazi regime usually said, oh, oh, you know, your kinsmen are being persecuted and killed, you know, like Germans are killed in Czechoslovakia. Let's attack Czechoslovakia now, you know, let's save the Germans. Communists, uh, when they attacked, say, Finland in 1939, they said, oh, the proletarians are suffering, you know, bourgeoisie is oppressing proletarians there, let's come and liberate them. And the ultra-liberal totalitarianism is using what I would call 
Hollywood method. You know, they they take the leader uh, of the uh, the unwanted leader of a country they don't like. They demonize him like, yeah. oh, you know, this person is a maniac. He's a threat to mankind. Right. Look, Saddam Hussein, awful. We can't live with him on the same planet for one day. You know, and yeah. uh, and this is repeated every hour every minute so that an average person in the United States, I remember I studied in the United States in 1991 and I remember young people just yelling, kill that Saddam, you know. Oh yeah. Was, uh, not, not because they uh, they were so interested in uh, what was going on in Iraq, but because the media just uh, right. went nuts, you know. They, well, and Gaddafi as well, as you mentioned earlier. But uh, forgive me for interrupting, but just to clarify, because I confused my question, we were in agreement that they manipulate the translations, but is it true that Putin wants to recreate the Soviet Union? Because the quote that they attributed to him was that the destruction of the Soviet Union was a geopolitical disaster. And my understanding, listening to his entire speech, was that he, what, he, what he meant by that was it was a geopolitical disaster in as much as it created this unipolar world where the United States had outsized influence and was destroying all these countries, as you pointed out, you know, through colonialism and just deciding who is a dictator. Uh, well, you're absolutely right, uh, and uh, let me explain what he meant. Uh, in another speech, Putin said that a person who does not feel bad, you know, about the, the destruction of the Soviet Union has no heart, because so many people suddenly found themselves outside their home, you know, especially the ethnic Russians. Uh, but a person who wants to recreate the Soviet Union uh, the way it was, the way it existed 30 years ago, that person has no mind. So Putin is sad about the fact that uh, the historical territory of the Russian Empire was split into uh, 15 countries, some of them hostile to each other, uh, some of them hostile to Russia. Uh, that created a lot of frictions in families, uh, a lot of tragedies. He said about it, but it doesn't mean that Putin wants to recreate the Soviet Union. Let me tell you, again, you can check it with uh, Western newspapers. In 2010, there was a terrible, terrible riot uh, in uh, in Kyrgyzstan, Central Asian uh, Republic, uh, formerly a part of the Soviet Union, uh, the most crucified part of uh, Central Asia, I would say. At that time, in 2010, the, the local government, by a woman, you know, the woman president, they asked Russia to send troops, quell the rebellion, and to, uh, you know, like, um, establish peace. Mm -hmm. Remember how Western diplomats told me, why doesn't Putin do it? I mean, we, we don't prevent him. You know, this is a poor country, we don't need it. Why isn't he doing that? And I told them, because we want to recreate Soviet Union. We don't want to be responsible all these Central Asian nations, which grew uh, population-wise the last 30 years. I mean, Uzbekistan like doubled its population. And now it's 34 million people. How can we rule from Moscow, huge nation of 34 million people, Muslims, wow. uh, uh, with, their, with their own ancient culture, with their own pride, 
this is a different uh, this is a different society now both in Russia and in Uzbekistan but uh, why Putin uh, acted like that in Ukraine and why in in general he thinks that Russia should uh, preserve some kind of uh, influence uh, in the former Soviet republics because NATO is expanding and whenever NATO comes to a former Soviet Republic, it immediately becomes very hostile to Russia. Like, look at the Baltics. Uh, Estonia, Lithuania, and Latvia were parts of the Soviet Union. In uh, 2004, Putin agrees to them becoming parts of NATO. And we were told at the time that, oh, you know, these countries are afraid of you. Uh, they're not members of NATO. That's why they're nervous. That's why they are apprehensive. When they join NATO, they're going to be nice to you because they will feel like they're anchored in, in Western civilization. And unfortunately, the opposite was true. You know, <laughs> They became very, very anti-Russian. They were emboldened uh, by the fact that they were members of NATO. They mistreated their Russian minorities even worse than before. They, they uh, you know, uh, Estonia has dozens of NATO exercises every year on its territory, right next to Saint Petersburg. It's a, it's a two hours bus ride from Saint Petersburg, Estonia. So uh, basically, Putin decided to act in Ukraine precisely because if Ukraine started to be home to American bases and to American or British missiles able to hit Moscow in four or three minutes, uh, believe me, no, no, uh, Ukraine is very close to Moscow in that sense. Uh, uh, Russia would have no way to protect itself except switching to the nuclear option in the first minute. Like, uh, uh, if there is a, any kind of attack from the territory of Ukraine, okay, Russia can protect itself, but it will be a suicidal, it, it can just blow up everything, right? Uh, there is simply no other way we can uh, resist uh, an attack from there. So Putin decided to act because uh, otherwise it was just getting dangerous. Remember, in his speech before the start of the operation, he said that Stalin allowed Hitler, after the signing of the pact in 1939, get very close to the border of the Soviet Union. Basically, all the, bo all the western border of the Soviet Union was... Uh, or Nazi Germany, and uh, and Stalin hoped that uh, you know Hitler would not attack. That wrong, you know. It was a tragedy. Attacked in June 1941. Let me remind you that uh, most of the casualties that the Red Army had, and most of the casualties of the civilian population, were in 1941, when when uh, the Nazis just ripped the Soviet front from the West. And uh, you know, Putin decided uh, that this time we are not going to allow them to get so close, uh, closer than in 1941. We are not going to allow them to do that. Now, Dmitry, in the last couple months we have here, we don't have much time, but do you think that's part of the reason? I know at the beginning of the military operation, when the Russian forces would take over, they would not hoist the Russian Federation flag. They would leave the Ukraine flag up. But recently, they've been putting up the Russian flag. Do you think some of the areas in the south, which I don't think— Putin wanted to occupy. I don't think that was his intention. 
as beginning of the military operation. They're having to to create that buffer of well, safety for the Russian Federation? Yeah, good question. Yes, I think that in the beginning, Putin wanted to change the regime in Ukraine, probably without changing the borders, except that the two of these uh, people's republics uh, in Donbass, which are Russian-speaking, which would, uh, which uh, Putin recognized before the, the, the before the special operation started. You remember that there was an attack against Kiev, and obviously the, the idea was to change the regime there. But obviously that failed. So now Russia has a more modest uh, goal before itself. Take the eastern and the southern part of Ukraine, which is Russian-speaking, and obviously uh, they will not uh, be in the same state with Rump. And Dmitry, Dmitry, we're out of time, and it's midnight in Moscow. So thanks very much for joining us. Great conversation. Have a good night's sleep, and thank you. Love to have you back on the show real soon. Have a Dimitri. That's me. <laughs> thank you. Bye bye. Bye. Bye bye. And we'll be back after this short break talking to our guest co-host, Jason Goodman, and taking your calls, 202-521-1320, on The Backstory. empire of lies, an oasis of truth and free speech in the barren wasteland that is the empire of lies. It's time for the second hour of the show that takes you behind the headlines and to the truth that's sometimes buried there. I'm Lee Stranahan, and we're joined by guest co-host Jason Goodman from CrowdSource of Truth. This is The Backstory. And what a great conversation with Dimitri Babich. Hey, Jason. Absolutely. I was going to say, Lee, that is some of the most insightful analysis that I have heard. Uh, I, I feel like I just learned a lot of, of uh, information from somebody who really knew what he was talking about. Remind me what Dimitri's background is. He's a right. He was born in, in Moscow. Uh, so born in 1970. So, uh, you know, around our age. Yeah. And uh, he's a writer and author and geopolitical analyst. So, wow. Yeah, he really knows a great guest. Yeah. Yes, he does. And I, I love when we have guests on who are in Moscow. Yeah. Or And he talks about how Moscow is a modern city. Have you seen the skyline in Moscow lately? No, I mean, pictures of the Kremlin maybe, but not really. Okay. There's one building, I don't know what, what it is. It looks like a giant took a skyscraper and twisted it. Hmm. Go, go ahead. If you look it up, it's a really cool architectural design. If you just look up Moscow skyline, yeah, you probably I just see did it. it. I see it. I see it. Yep, yep. You see what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Now, as I understand it, they did not have a giant go in and twist uh-huh. it. But I've, I've how would you describe it, Jason? Well, I mean, I've seen it in right. Dubai. It's like a, almost like a braided spiral building. Yes, a spiral building. Right. Impressive. And our engineer, do you know what that building is? 
okay, yeah, it's just on your mind. But it's it's pretty cool. And Moscow is a very modern city. And as I say, I was looking at restaurants and the food situation, and I saw this restaurant, White Rabbit. I'm eventually going to try to get someone on. Absolutely amazing. If anyone looks it up on YouTube, and I, you know, for anybody who thinks Russian cuisine is basically a beet and a potato and some dirt, no. <laughs> This is the most innovative restaurant. The dishes look delicious, and they're contrasting flavors, and very, very. It's Russian. It's updated Russian cuisine, but fantastic restaurant. And people don't get the sense in the U.S. of what Moscow is really like. Yeah. Well, this and thing. And I haven't we, been there. I haven't either. But the thing is called the Evolution Tower, and it's a, a skyscraper located on plots two and three of the MIBC in Moscow, Russia. It's a 55-story office building, and it's 246 meters. It's 807 feet tall. So. Uh, close in height to the Empire State Building. That's I think a uh, thousand or yeah, the Empire State Building is only like a thousand twenty-six feet tall. I think. So this is a tall building. Yeah. Built in 2011. And so I always like to talk to people in Moscow, whether it's Robert Bridge or Mark Savota or Dmitry Babich, what daily life is like. Because I mean, you know, going to the grocery store, the media in America and the Great Britain. But by the way, let me get to the boom. Tyler Nix is joining us this hour. Jason, throw some bass in your voice and say the name of the show. The backstory. There we go. Yeah. Three four eight three one second. Two zero two five two one thirteen twenty. But uh, the Western media doesn't want people to know what life in Moscow is really like. Or what life in Russia is really like. When I've talked to Peter Lavelle, the host of Crosstalk on RT, about life, life there, mm-hmm. he says it's great. Mm. And I, I always say, see this: people on Twitter, when they try to attack me, uh, they say, "If if you love Russia so much, why don't you go there?" Which is like a schoolyard, the stupidest thing. No, it's also, not a bad idea. Go. I, I'm right. thinking it seems might be safer than New York. <laughs> right. It, it's no, probably not safer than Sioux Falls because we have right. a very, very low crime rate. Yeah. And it's probably not a big weather change from Sioux Falls. But yeah. they have a bigger skyline than Sioux Falls. That's and, true. And uh, they say it like it's an insult and like who would want to go live there? Well, a lot of people, apparently. Yeah. yeah. A lot of people, and it's not some '50s movie version of what life in Russia is like. And specifically, they're trying to say the sanctions. America's trying to pretend that the sanctions have had some of the effect that it feels like. Also, when people talk about press freedom, they say, "Well, you couldn't, you wouldn't be free to talk." I've said over and over again, I am more free at Sputnik yeah. than I would be if I on was YouTube. still working for Breitbart. Right. 
or right. even on YouTube now. You say stuff. We talk about topics on this show that if we talked about it on High Dive with Lee Stranahan on YouTube and Patreon, it would get thrown off of there. Right. And people, people, when we talk to Mark Savota, or even you could hear a little Dimitri saying, they do not say, when I bring up Vladimir Putin's name, they do not go, oh, thanks for bringing up our glorious leader. Right. Yeah. They, no, they just say whatever. It seems like, again, the, the, there have been protests against Putin, but they're not about Navalny. They're about pensions didn't increase. Right. And that's a very normal. And I've seen that if, if, if you get a chance, watch one of the press conferences Putin does where he's, he, for hours he takes questions from the press or from citizens. It's hmm. like a call-in show. Wow. Have you have you seen that? I think I may have, but uh, you're reminding me of it now. It's not a bunch of people standing up going, "Glorious leader, how did you learn to play piano so well?" <laughs> he you know does. I saw a video of him playing piano. I was like, "Holy cow! Is this a joke?" Right. No. No. Because it's funny to see a politician yeah. who can do something. I mean, we he could have, have been on television as a piano player. I was like, "Wow." Yes, and Joe Biden can't remember what a piano is. Exactly. He can't even speak a sentence. Now, Lee, here's an interesting statistic. According to Google, wherever this crime index comes from, Moscow, Russia rates 37.35. New York, New York, where I am right now, 47.74. So that means what? I think Moscow has lower crime. It's lower on this list. Yes, that wouldn't surprise me. Yeah. That wouldn't surprise me. I think absolutely. And probably this is not even current. New York's getting really bad. And also, if we compare the subway systems from the two towns, mm -hmm. New York's subway. Filthy. Compared to Moscow's. I have a feeling well, what I've heard, Moscow wins. Well, and I, so, yeah, it's got like chandeliers and stuff. Yeah, wow. I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, it looks like a museum. No, New York City. See, here's what's strange. Everybody in the United States suddenly became a hypochondriac where you can't go into the supermarket unless you're wearing surgical gear. But yet, yeah, well, let's go ride on the subway where some person is defecating and lives there. Right. And I thought the other thing, and we're going to get to retrieve after this, but I'll just say one thing that was interesting to me in our great conversation with author Dmitry Revich yeah. from Moscow. Dmitry made a distinction I have never heard someone make in America before. What was Not that? Not one time. When you talk to people, even people who are conservative, mm -hmm. do they ever make a distinction between capitalism and a market economy. No, that's what I mean. When he, I, I was blown away by his analysis, presentation. He's also speaking to us in a language that's not his first language. He is a brilliant individual. Yes. And, uh, but that distinction between, I, I don't think many people in America think about, they're so... Re reflexively, American leftists talk about how capitalism is evil. Well, yeah. What do you mean? A, a market economy? And some of them do mean a market economy. In fact, a few years ago, 
when Bernie Sanders was talking all the time about how evil capitalism is, mm -hmm. and he pointed out the great uh, some of the Scandinavian countries. I forget which one he was talking about. But oh, he said Denmark or something. Right, I think it was Denmark, and he said, "You know, they they're a socialist country." He's referred to it over and over, right? Mm -hmm. They said he said they're a socialist country, and the leader of Denmark, I believe I'm quoting accurately who said it, but I might not be because I'm going from memory. Yeah. But they felt the need to make a statement. They said we're not a socialist country; <laughs> we are a market economy. Uh-huh. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're no, a market economy that has universal health health care, for instance. Yeah. So you can have a different health system and still have a market economy and not a socialist economy. But see, I think very few people in America think about that. Exactly. And see, you're now you're helping me to realize what it was I found so stimulating about what Dimitri just shared with us. It's that he is analyzing this with such depth, you know, the dimensions that he just put on these ideas, even my own understanding of what Putin meant when he was talking about the sorrow that he felt for the destruction of the Soviet Union. In the United States, what they want to do is they want to take everything and put it in a package and hand it to you and, you know, here's your McDonald's hamburger. Get the hell out of here. And the thing that's great about it is every time you come back here, the hamburger is going to be plus or minus, you know, 0.2 ounces, exactly the same. And you don't want any deeper analysis than that. And this is the way that everybody is taught to think. And Trump became an expert at targeting his message at his audience on Twitter because he's very good at consolidating ideas that will sell and then selling them. I think that's what he did. And what Dimitri just did is the opposite of that, expanding an idea, opening it up, helping you understand the complex detail that is there that's been hidden from you or you've been misdirected to something else. That was fantastic. I hope a lot of people listen to that. Yes, yeah, it was a great conversation. Let's go to calls, and then I'll talk to you more about this Biden at the Bolinsky meeting thing. Yeah. That I talked about yesterday. Mm -hmm. And it was the top story on Gateway Pundit yesterday. Yeah. And thanks to Jumaha for posting that. Mm -hmm. And I'll talk about that, and from a journalistic perspective, what that accomplished. But first, 202-521-1320. Tarif, you're on. Go ahead. Thanks for holding. Hey, Therese. Thanks for taking. How y'all doing? Good. Uh, first, I'd like to say free Julian Assange. I have two important comments. First comment is this. Of course, Biden came out saying that um, you got 20 million tons of grain trapped in uh, Ukraine, and it's, they're trying to get it out. They need it because that's what a Lend-Lease program for the equipment that they're sending to um, Ukraine. The United States need that. Now they're having trouble getting it out. The second important comment there's two prints in one comment, but to go into that comment, you must understand what we say today. Okay, this is by Kaleba of Kaleba of Foreign Affairs of Ukraine. If Ukraine does not receive candidate status for the EU membership, this means only one thing: that Europe is trying to deceive us, and we are not going to tolerate that. Okay, so they sent their message today by messing with that gas pipeline going to Europe. 
by by saying by by cutting it back to a third or to half or full based on how Europe acts with them with the seven billion dollars and also with the military equipment and also with the um the, the membership on on uh, with um NATO with the EU, EU. That's their first ace in it, up their sleeves. The second ace up their sleeve is this league, which makes sense. You see all that those thirty lamps that was supposedly burnt down by the SBC and all uh, and S- the F the bio labs. Um, the bio labs. Yeah, you're not supposed to be burnt. It wasn't all. Let me tell you something. I guarantee you this: they kept some of the information from themselves for a rainy day. Insurance. Those tapes, witnesses, paperwork, press tubes show what was going on there. Or were they day for insurance? If NATO ever screwed them, they can turn around and mess over NATO. Man, West. That's a good point, Curry. Remember this. When they still got, listen at the UN, all of a sudden people are going to just turn around and ignoring um, the um, Ukraine. My administration with NATO made Zelensky a cocaine to a full, a full D chess player. We're talking about a cocaine. Zelensky <laughs> got the, the dibs on him now. Yeah. Man. No, no, Trif, great point, great call, as usual, Trif. Thanks for the call. Man, Lee, now, the way Therese at, puts it, Ukraine is like a psycho ex-girlfriend or something. That's one way to put it. But <laughs> an, another good point Therese made is that at a certain point, I think Ukraine is not going to put up with this anymore. They're going to, and and I'll put it like this, Chechnya is an example of that. Chechnya fell for the West lies for a while. Mm-hmm. But now the Chechens, you can tell Chechens because they have beards like my son Shane. Uh-huh. If you look at them, they have big, very big beards. Uh-huh. But And my son Shane, former coach of Fall Lines, has a very big beard, but he's not Chechen. The <laughs> Chechens are now the front line of fighters on Russia's side. They fell yeah. for the West lies then they realize we're not going to take this anymore. And they became Russian fighters on the I, Russian side. I was very and surprised I think to that see could that. Happen to, and I think that could happen with Ukraine. At a certain point, they could go, wait a minute. All of this war, and they, not letting us surrender, caused a lot of death and caused misery from our crappy economy in Ukraine. And they could come around because they are, there is a kinship they have with Russia. And Putin's talked about that. He is not an enemy of the Ukrainian people. It's the Ukrainian public government that's a problem. So 202-521-1320. Let's go to Malik in D.C. Go ahead. Uh, Thanks for uh, taking my call there, Lee. I was I, I was listening intently to your guests. I I enjoyed it. What what uh, portions of it we could hear out here? Uh, because uh, I, I'm sure you guys have heard uh, lately your your signal is being distorted uh, a lot more than usual. Uh, oh. And I'm I'm trying to figure out. And it, and it was interesting because 
I, you know, I, I had to, I had to laugh at myself because I was, I was picturing some geek sitting in a room, um, distorting your, uh, distorting your signal. And I, and I said, well, wait a minute, you know, why am I thinking that way? But I did notice that on certain keywords, when you mentioned Mariupol, uh, the, the signal, <laughs> the signal went away. And then, uh, I guess there is a point at which your, your co-host there, uh, said uh, the words, Moscow wins and it completely and and the signal completely went haywire. Wow. You know, I, I that's interesting. I, I, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well what are you listening no, to? No, Is it no. FM radio go, or the internet ahead, or what? I am I am listening on the on the, the FM signal. Both the uh-huh. FM and the AM signal. Sometimes I jump back and forth. Huh. Interesting. They, I don't know. What do you think, so, Lee? So so I don't know. You know, it's a good point, and we'll keep track of that. Malik, that's not what you called about, though, correct? Right. It sounds like you're leading into something else. I think we lost Okay, them. maybe it was. Maybe it was what he's calling about. Yeah. It just sounded like he was leading up to something. I'm waiting for a time. Signal attenuation, Lee. We can't have it. So, Ingrid in D.C., what's on your mind? Back up, Malik, on that. I listen on FM, and uh, the first half hour of Dimitri was fabulous. The, second, the last 15 minutes was just really broken up. And even some of Tarif's questioning was broken up on the radio. But um, I'm calling on something else. At the end, I'll ask you a question about Joe Rogan. Uh, I think, Lee, that I feel pretty much the way you do about Gonzalo Lira in that he is not really ideal, but he's on the right path. And I wish he would have a bigger audience. So I'm trying to start a a movement to get him on on Joe Rogan. And I I started myself by going to Rogan's website and uh, writing to the contact person for his podcast, which anybody can do. Somebody... I posted this idea somewhere else and somebody wrote back and said they didn't think that Rogan was free to have somebody like Gonzalo on. And am I missing something? I thought Rogan was independent and free. Is, is Are there some constraints on him that would prevent him having someone like Gonzalo on his podcast? I think for many people, supporting Russia in the Ukraine-Russia conflict is a bridge too far. Does that make sense, Jason? Yeah, I was going to say, I think we you can't just presume that Joe Rogan wants to have him on. Joe Rogan's a busy guy, and I'm sure there's a million people emailing him. And how do we know? I, I don't even, what is Joe Rogan's position? I haven't listened to it in a while. What's his position on the whole Ukraine war? I have a feeling his position is he doesn't talk about it much. I have a feeling his position is maybe a limited one where it's not our business, we shouldn't be involved. That's essentially the Tucker Carlson position. Well, the Whereas one thing my position, about, one thing I'll say about Joe Rogan is that he he doesn't. At least I haven't seen him too much. He doesn't try to talk about stuff he doesn't know about. He'll have someone on and ask them questions, right. but he he's talking about stuff he knows about. And see, that's why I I think it's important for me why I came out. Pro-Russian, I, I, I don't want to be 
a mealy mouth person about this. I don't want to say, well, I, I think nuclear war is bad. That's a genius opinion, by the way. Very <laughs> rare. Yeah. But I don't want to say, look, m messing with Russia is bad because they have nuclear weapons. A it's lot of people a, take that position. Not a very good analysis. I'd say lying about Russia, as Joe Biden's, we now know, the Hunter Biden laptop story, he used Russia. I'd say Russia is right. Russia is right. Yeah. And it's not just that we shouldn't be involved. It's that we're backing the wrong side. Yeah. Well, we're, we're escalating it is what is what I think. I mean, the analogy, the final right. analogy I'll make on this, Lee, is that I don't think anybody is over there at Joe Rogan's show saying, oh, I wonder who Lee Stranahan thinks is going to win this next MMA fight. It's just not something that you know about, talk about, or get involved with. You're aware that MMA is happening, but you just don't have a position on it. I think Joe Rogan doesn't right. know anything about the politics of Russia, Ukraine. I have to tune in and see what he thinks, but and you've I think got tremendous insight. I think it, it would be tough for him to figure out. Now, I yeah. want to make sure we go to calls because yeah. we got Brave and Keith. And so, Brave, we love talking to you, but you have to keep it relatively short here. Brave, what's on your mind? No problem. How's it going, guys? Two quick points. Um, first, on Joe Rogan, real quick, I, I don't think he would have any. He has a pretty good uh, BS meter. I think he would have a pretty good uh, chance of sniffing it out concerning the Russia thing. And I, I don't think he would have. He would be opposed to bringing uh, Gonzalo on, provided it piqued his interest. Um, the reason why I was calling is the uh, Zelensky um, Ukraine talking about cutting off the uh, the pipe, the fuel lines to um, to to Europe. Yeah. I want to throw it to you guys and see what you think. Because the first thing that popped in my mind was, one, either um, this is the U.S. Uh, making them do it, pulling the puppet strings, because uh, in the U.K. and in Europe, they're kind of, uh, you know, dilly-dying a little bit because they don't want to obviously sink their economy. And if it, isn't, if it isn't the U.S. making him do it, and it is of his own accord, how does the media cover that? How does mainstream media cover that uh, in retrospect? And I'll leave, you, I'll leave it to you with that. Well, I, I think there's a lot of cracks that have not surfaced yet between, as you say, Europe and America, and as Sharif pointed out, between Ukraine and Europe and America. I think those cracks are just forming, but they will continue to grow, and we'll see how they play out. What do you say, Jason? I got to presume that the intelligence agencies of Russia, of the UK, France, you know, all the major countries in NATO, they have to know what we know about Hunter Biden's laptop. They know what we know from looking at the news about Joe Biden's cognitive state. I mean, who has any confidence in what the United States is doing in Ukraine? This is obviously a big bamboozle going on over there. And I mean, what Putin knows is that the end game is to, you know, get military and economic influence over Ukraine to the extent that the United States and NATO can destroy Russia, balkanize Russia, remove Putin. They're not being secret about it anymore. Lindsey Graham is calling for it. Putin needs to go, he's saying, on TV. Right. And, and Lindsey Graham, you'll have to get rid of two other things. The population of Russia and the Duma, because Putin is backed by both. It's not like Putin. People, again, they don't get it. Putin is not a dictator acting alone. Right. And no one in the population is in favor of what he's saying. And no one in the Duma is in favor. 
And quickly, let's go to Keith. Go ahead. Thanks for holding. So, I just wanted to comment on one of the callers who said that they're having problems with reception. I, too, am having the same problem. I don't know. I hope it's that um, Mr. Force doing it. But quickly moving on, it's been said, I guess it's a cliche or you know, saying, the first casualty of any war is the truth. And by that measure, my question one to you is, are, is the U.S. winning the PSYOPs war or the psychological propaganda side of it? And two, for your viewers, an excellent film, which is now on Amazon Prime, done by Oliver Stone, 2015, prior to this uh, conflict, which was done by a detached, disinterested historian, this guy from uh, univer what is it? Uh, uh, American University, the one that helped him with the JFK stuff, all that. And what it reveals is that the curtain is pulled back on Victoria Newland. We supported terrorists in Syria. Why wouldn't we support white nationalists and the Azov Battalion in Ukraine? Yeah. He unpacks all this stuff. He shows the Maidan. He shows the people beating the crap out of anybody that, that was Russian and all this whole thing staged. And it has to have some credibility because it was done before the so-called invasion of, the, uh, of, uh, of Ukraine. So I would highly recommend that. I'm going to watch this thing three times. I could not believe this Bandera. I couldn't believe the history with the Poles. I couldn't believe that the Jews preferred to have Nazis kill them rather than the Ukrainians because they would at least make your life over in a few seconds, whereas the Ukrainians would just torture you. I don't Whoa. know on these people and put them down. Please, just, just respond. Thank you. Wow. Well, I've said that Ukraine on fire, which I think what you're talking about. Yeah. Ukraine on fire, executive producer Oliver Stone, was a film that taught me about Ukraine. And then I am very proud to have been part of Revealing Ukraine, the sequel to that film, which goes into detail about more stuff about Ukraine and as it relates to Russiagate. Mm -hmm. And people need to understand how central Ukraine was to Russiagate. And Russiagate was not essentially about Donald Trump. It was, again, and as for... How the PSYOP is going, the information war. I take a contrary. I don't think lying, because the media goes along with your lies, I don't consider that a victory. No. I think more people discover the truth every day. Yeah. That's what I think. Jason, what do you think? No, you're right. I mean, the news reporting it, that's not winning. That's how they do it. It's the more people tune into this show, the more people watch High Dive, the more people go to independent journalists and, and make up their own mind and put the facts together based on logic and evidence. That's them losing. I agree with you, Lee. And we're coming back. We'll have Tyler Nixon on, and we'll be talking about the Tony Bolinsky, the the Tony Bolinsky story that I revealed some information I had not seen reported before, yeah. but we got posted over at Gateway Pundit, and we'll be talking with Tyler about that. And it's information that largely had been reported before, but the pictures that I found had not been focused on. Does that you make the, sense? You, you put the timeline together. It's all public domain stuff. You haven't discovered something previously hidden, but you've put the key right. into the lock and turned it and opened the door. And it's like, aha. I've recontextualized it. I think it's a big deal. I agree. And Tucker Carlson should revisit the story yes. because now he's got a video. And there's no doubt Joe Biden lied. 
Joe Biden was at a meeting with his son and someone from a Chinese energy company, and he lied about it over yes. and over again, repeatedly. At the presidential debate. And yes, but also from the White House. Yeah. And we'll have Tyler Nixon, and we'll talk about that after this short break on The Backstory. back on 105.5 FM AM 1390 in Washington, D.C. and the surrounding area and sort of come in. There's some reception problems and we don't know if this deep is messing with us. I, <laughs> you never I'm know. sure you're suspicious. You're suspicious, Jason, right? Well, I was more wondering if it was maybe the uh, heater in my apartment making some low-level noise that's affecting my microphone, that's disrupting the broadcast, but I've been trying to go on mute when I'm not speaking. Okay, great job. Joining <laughs> us now, political strategist, analyst, and great guy, Tyler Nixon. We're honored to be joined by Tyler Nixon. How are you doing, Tyler? Great. Uh, Lee and Jason, is, I'm honored to be on this suspicious show. I mean, uh, Jason Goodman, a great man, a, a, a patriot, a truth teller. And of Thank course, you. Dimitri's uh, appearance was excellent, really outstanding. I have to agree yeah. with Jason, Jason that, uh, boy, that, that, I mean, talk about insight. The man's brilliant. Yeah, and, uh, I felt the I, light I, I, going I was, off. I was struck by the yeah, go, uh, go his on, distinction. Um, you know, capitalism, the term capitalism basically is a derivation of sort of Marxist ideology in the sense that, you know, it's Das Kapital was, you know, Marx's book. But um, that being said, people ask, are you a capitalist? Do you support capitalism? And I, my rejoinder is that I support free markets and free choice, you know, and whether that's in the form of capitalism is, is debatable um, because, you know, this I think they're two different things, but I think it's definitely uh, you, you you know, he raised and you guys raised a uh, really important distinction, I think, in uh, in terms of uh, framing the debate and framing the argument against those who want no free markets or they want a you know monopolistic uh, statism. Yeah. But, uh, that being said, well, what's, uh, what's on the plate today? Question. Sure. Let me ask you another question. And Tyler, I'm not. I'm going to read your mind here. Your oh. answer is going to be no. <laughs> that's a psychic prediction. If I asked you the question, not are you in favor of capitalism, but are you in favor of crony capitalism? Oh, yeah. Tyler Nixon. Oh, it's not. Yeah, crony capitalism, a.k.a. fascism. Crime. Right. Fascism so, is basically uh, the veneer of a, of a free market or a free market economy, but everything is controlled. In other words, they leave the private institutions uh, stood in place, but uh, they, you know, they still are controlled. They're they're instruments of the state. Yeah. And patriots and literally loving people, whether they call themselves conservative or libertarian or something in between, everyone I know would say they hate crony capitalism. Right, Tyler? Absolutely. I mean, who wouldn't? It's that it's the implication is corruption yeah. uh, is the foundation of it. Yeah. Now, an example of crony capitalism is, let's say you're making a business deal with a foreign country. And the energy company, a Chinese energy company. <laughs> Let's say you have a consultant. 
on there and you bring your father, who's a former vice president, <laughs> into the meeting. That's crony capitalism, right? Yeah. Well, it's more than that, but we can, yes, I think that term applies. <laughs> no, no. And the great Tucker Carlson, who's been under a lot of attacks lately, he nailed this story with the important interview during the Hunter Biden laptop story when that story was being suppressed by tech companies and lied about actively by Joe Biden. It was saying it was a Russian plant. When that was going on, Tucker Carlson did an interview with a man named Tony Bolinsky. He's a former business partner of Hunter Biden's, a veteran. And Tony Bobolinsky did an interview with Tucker. And he, he said that he met with Joe Biden at the Beverly Hilton Hotel. And he said in the interview with Tucker, they met that Joe Biden was there for a Michael Milken event. And what I reported yesterday was I found video of that. So it further lends credibility to Tony Bolinsky. Yeah. 100%. And the reason I think it's a big deal to come out now is not that it's new information. It's that the media for a long time, months and months, continue to say the Hunter Biden laptop story was suspicious, might not be true, might be Russian disinformation. Then the Washington Post, the New York Times, and CNN all admitted it was true. Remember that? A couple months ago. They came out suddenly, and although they admitted it was true, they did not do the next thing, which is to say, gee, if the Hunter Biden laptop story is true and not some Russian plot to plant the story, if it's true, then Tony Bolinsky's may be telling the truth. And they didn't follow up on that story. Yeah. And if that story is true, if Tony Bobolinsky's telling the truth, then Joe Biden has lied repeatedly about that meeting. And I think it's very clear that Joe Biden lied about that meeting. Uh-huh. Tyler, is it clear to you that Joe Biden is on the record saying he did not meet with his son and his business partner's interests and lied about it? I mean, well, Joe Biden's always been a liar, and I know this going back you know, 40 years to, to having lived and grown up with him and his sons and, and the family. Uh, they've, it's sort of the scourge of our state. I mean, this upstart, brash, half-witted county councilman uh, gets uh, barely ekes by and, and unseats a great man, Senator J. Caleb Boggs, uh, in 1972, and the country's been afflicted with him ever since, and it's just awful. But yeah, no, I mean, Biden is, is an exaggerator or prevaricator. He will lie under any circumstance, but I mean, these are monstrous lies, though. Um, I mean, I think it was Todd uh, uh, Ducey, Steve Ducey, excuse me. Uh, no, this, who's, I confused the two. Anyway, I remember early, yeah, yeah, early in the campaign, it was, um, uh, no, the son basically was on the campaign trail, and, and this was I, he he. It was one of Biden's first events when he started running, and Ducey ch- sort of chased him down a little bit and said, you know, do you know anything about your son's uh, business dealings? And Biden just flat out denied any knowledge of anything to do with his business dealings, which was of course <laughs> a flat out lie. Um, and we know that. I mean, it's it, you know, here's the thing. I mean, sophistry, uh, you know, is is the uh, is the watchword for the 
I don't even call it mainstream media. It's propaganda is what we are witnessing. You know, they either omit what they don't want uh, uh, to be aired. They, uh, you know, attack it if it's if it if it becomes news, um, and then they just basically pass along the the. Uh, I mean, disinformation, frankly, from the Biden administration. I mean, Biden just I mean, the, the, the notion that he was not involved or didn't know about any of Hunter's activities that Hunter Biden, who I went to high school with and know very, you know, very well. Uh, I mean, Hunter is not he, he's crafty. I'm sure he is has become seasoned, but he's not a smart guy. I mean, these people, I mean, Biden, like Biden, he, he didn't study. He didn't read. He's not an intellect. He's not a thinker. Um, you know, I, I call them political animals. I mean, that's basically the story of the Biden uh, family. They're political animals, um, and and that's how they operate, and that's how they function. That's what drives them. Um, but the idea that Hunter Biden, I remember sitting with Hunter at, at a, uh, it was a meeting. It was set up for a when he was do, with uh, Bill Oldacre. It was Oldacre and Biden. This is 2001, right before 9/11, and we were. Uh, I was working with a technology company in uh, Newcastle, Delaware, as a consultant, and basically we were trying to stand up a wind power technology project to demonstrate some novel uh, technology th that this company had developed. We set up a meeting to go in, uh, you know, down to his office in D.C., and we were trying to get some federal funding some, to, just to set up the, the project, you know, because then the state would usually kick in if we could get that. So we sat with Hunter and. I thought to myself, I mean, at the end of that meeting, I mean, I'd known Hunter socially. I grew up with him. Um, I thought, how does he, you know, thinking as an attorney, basically, someone who knows, you know, attorneys have to produce work product. You have to generate uh -huh. briefs. You have to generate documents. Client, you know, you can't just run around and shoot yeah. your mouth off. That's not what you right. get paid for. Um, it has to be committed <laughs> to paper. And I thought, you know, there was no, he didn't have a computer in front of him. There was no like note taking. I mean, it was like, what does this man do? I mean, he is such, it's just a total front front guy. He's just the guy in the room that represents the Biden crime family, basically. I hate to say it at this point, but that's what it, what it was and is. Um, but, you know, he could not pull off the type of international, I mean, he had to have people around him who would have led him in this direction. Frankly, Joe wouldn't either. You know, Joe was always a, a sort of a poor senator, I guess, because he didn't he hadn't quite perfected how to, you know, uh, how to uh, accomplish graft in a manner that wouldn't wouldn't be so obvious. I think when he became <laughs> vice president, there were people around uh, who who saw him as a, a target of opportunity in terms of exploitation. Um, and he said, sure. Yeah, why not? You know, let's get millions into the into the Biden coffers to the family with Jimmy and Frank is uh, even less uh, witted than the half-wit Biden himself uh, brothers, and uh, of course Hunter being the uh, the bagman for the family, which is what I always envisioned him being. Uh, between Bo and Bo and Hunt, basically, uh, Bo was going to be the front guy, the, you know, the the pretty face, the politician, and and Hunt was going to be the you know the money guy, the operational guy. So um, it, it's just. Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and I hate to use the term shanty Irish, but I mean, they're just because, because you know, Biden likes to claim his Irish uh, heritage, which is an insult, frankly. Um, but, you know, he, he uh, they're they're just sort of like uh, they're third rate grifters who somehow made it. I mean, uh, it's just and it's sad and it's reflecting the, the in my opinion, of Joe Biden, uh, just his his incompetence, his uh, focus only on promoting himself, um, his sort of. Uh, mile wide, inch deep level understanding of things um, is really playing out, unfortunately, uh, to the detriment of you know hundreds of millions of Americans right now. Uh, and the fact that he lied, just flat out lied his way into office, 
and and can't be held to account almost because he's now you know it's like it, it's one of these deals where uh you you know they, they i guess the um the insanity defense in a <laughs> criminal case is basically you know yeah. the, the notion that you can't punish someone for something they don't if they don't understand that what they did was wrong you right. know a pity uh, or that kind of thing point. they can't conceive of it and in biden's case it's like we can't even have justice for this man's atrocities over the years between the drug war, the, the uh, overseas interventions in the Middle East, and, and just his, his constant uh, you know, blowhard self-promoting opportunism. He's too senile now and too demented to even hold him to account. You know, But all you can do is just basically uh, uh, provoke him to an irascible comment or some sort of muttering. Uh, it, it, it's really just – this is going to be looked on as a dark period of our our nation's history, frankly, and I hope I hope well, it's the I, dark before the sun rises. Yeah, and I also think this is, and this is a point I don't hear people make enough. It disqualifies not just Joe Biden, but the intelligence community from performing foreign policy. For you said he lied, and I agree with you, but specifically. They blamed Russia. They lied. And all these are former intelligence officials. And no one in intelligence has stepped up and said that wasn't true. But by them blaming Russia and it being a lie, how can we trust them to carry out foreign policy with Russia? You see what I'm saying? If I blame Jason Goodman, if I said Jason Goodman is responsible or, you know, he planted evidence on me. Right. And that well, turns out to be a lie. Yeah. <laughs> right. You wouldn't have me negotiate with right. Jason. You'd say, we can't trust anything you say at all about Jason. Yeah. And I'm saying you can't trust anything Joe Biden says about Russia at all in any area because he tried to frame them for this Hunter Biden laptop story, which we now yeah. know is true. And Tyler, what do you also, think of that? Well, I was going to say, I'd also point out that Dimitri made a good point that Biden is stuck in the 80s. He's stuck in this Cold War sort of bipolar world mentality. Uh, and, and you know, I guess, well, what's left of his mind? I mean, he was, you know, he was constantly – Joe Biden, as I've said before, uh, his, his deal is you know, before he – I can't even say this necessarily, but his thing was proving wrong what he thinks other people think of him. And what he thinks other people think of him is, is that he's a, a loudmouth idiot, and that's not for good for, for that's not for uh, you know. There's good reason for that is because he is a loudmouth <laughs> idiot, frankly. Um, and so he's been constantly, for example, he was uh, trying to out uh, you know outgun so to speak or outdo the uh, the you know pro law and order Republicans for years and years and years with his drug war insanity. You know, he's always trying to up the ante to show, no, I'm not some, you know, a liberal. I'm not some uh, whatever I did to, to, to cower before. I mean, you know, he's got this sort of, um, you know, wants, wants to see himself as a tough guy. Fortunately, I think that's somewhat been backed off because, I mean, he could really, you know, he, he, had, he had a temper, a short temper whenever challenged about anything. Um, and the fact that he's just, you know, they, they focused on Russia. I mean, it's insane that they're worried about talking about Putin being a thug. Um, hello. Has anyone ever heard of the CIA? I mean, the stuff our country has done under – well, our country, excuse me. The stuff these agencies, these alphabet agencies have done under our – in our names, unfortunately, uh, you know, which stains stains the record of, of this country, stains us permanently in many ways in some cases. 
Um, is I mean, please. I mean, the, the, a lot, most of these countries and their intelligence ser- services are pikers compared to what uh, some of the uh, crimes and some of the atrocities that have been funded, subsidized, or otherwise engineered by the CIA, including the assassination of our 35th president. So, yeah. you know, I mean, that being said, I mean, look, this is a dark period that I hope we can survive, frankly. Uh, you know, I think there's people intent on just collapsing everything. Uh, and And Biden is just, you know, sort of, it, it's it's just real convenient that he's become this uh, kind of detached, senile. I mean, he's certainly not the man that I knew. Uh, you know, even even ten years ago, I remember talking to him at uh, we the high school he went to was Archmere Academy. It's a Catholic, it was a boys' school when he went, and then they uh, went co-ed. But that's where I went with Hunt and Bo, and I remember talking to him. Uh, just like one-on-one briefly at homecoming. Like nobody was interested in really, oh yeah, there's Joe Biden, big deal. Um, (laughs) This was like 2002. And I said, are you going to run for president? And he, you know, he just looked off in the distance. It was like, he didn't quite answer the question, but what it is, is he always had to be the top guy. He always had something to prove. He always had to be, you know, he always has to best, best whoever it is he's up against. Uh, And, you know, that's a dangerous thing. And And I actually, I mean, as, as scary as it is to have the senile Biden, I'd almost have that rather have that than the sort of brash, um, uh, you know, the wanting to be the top guy. You know, I don't want to say bully, although you know, Biden can certainly be. He has been a bully in instances, but we don't need somebody who's like, you know, hair trigger and needs to prove himself. And that's what Biden always has done. I think, you know, he. It's it, it's maybe the, the divine interventions in some sense that he's been uh, sort of muted. Well, that's a good uh, segue, actually, Tyler, because because I was going to talk about the Supreme Court with you next, and let me make a, a, a let me start by asking a question. The divine intervention feeds right into what I was going to ask you. Maybe I'm making a stereotype about deadheads, but Tyler Nixon, you are a deadhead, a fan of the Grateful Dead, like Tucker Carlson and like Ann Coulter, a deadhead of the right, and I'm guessing maybe I have a stereotype about deadheads being one. Tyler, are you do you consider yourself a religious zealot? A zealot? Uh no, I wouldn't consider myself a zealot <laughs> on religion. Uh you know, I was right. an altar boy. I guess I does that qualify as being a, a zealot? <laughs> well, no, you know, and my guess is from the deadheads I know, whatever it is, it's the my guess is you don't reject spirituality. My guess is you it's a, you 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 have some spiritual beliefs, but they may you may not fit into the religious zombie category, right? And the reason I'm, I'm an asking atheist. That in, right. I was going to say I'm not I'm not an atheist, and I'm also not a fundamentalist either, uh, as far as any doctrine. I mean, I, my belief is there is a creator. And there is a divine – well, divine, I'd use that term. There is a master, a grand uh, plan. There's Like all of this comes together uh, through a design. And I'll say this also, and I, and I think there is a personal God as well. The, the notion that any human being uh, – we are not even specks on the – on a speck, on a sand, you know, whatever. I mean the, the, the proportions are unimaginable. So whatever – Entity, being, deity created all this. There's no way we can even conceive of it in our minds at this point. It's impossible. It's just, it, it's it's beyond our grasp. So, you know, people would 
purport to speak God wants this and God wants that. You don't, you don't even know. I mean, give me a break. As soon as somebody said God wants, they they're, they're, they're you know just fill in whatever their ulterior motives are. And that being said, I think uh, the there is certainly um, as far as religious faith. I mean, there's an ameliorative uh, aspect to that. That you know, look, I mean, it may not be exactly the way the you know the creator of the universe exists or or whatever operates or um, but but it does. There is there is in religion, I think. Uh, uh, comfort and sort of a, uh, a regularity that, that, that does provide people solace in many instances and, you know, particularly with death and things like that. So that being said, I'm not, a, no, I'm not a practicing Catholic, but I consider myself a Catholic. And the reason I asked about that is because, and, and that's what I would have thought you had said. If someone asked me to write it down, that's about what I would have thought you said. And I, I consider it. And broadly, I agree. And I think Jason agrees Jason, you're not a friend of mine as a Christian, no, right? Not today. No, but but you do you see what Todd was talking about and broadly agree? Yeah, yeah. I think I, I you know lean more towards the not understanding, absolutely, and uh, definitely less aligned with you know Judaism. But although I do appreciate my Jewish heritage. No, and the reason I ask this is I've noticed. If you're in favor of not killing babies, right. you're a religious zealot. <laughs> oh, well, and a lot right. of people on the left, <laughs> right? The, yeah. the the religious argument, the argument of the left right now is they always talk about religious zealots and yeah. religious zombies and right wing fundamentalists. And I'm not one, but I think there are questions that are raised. And again, it's valid to ask the questions about it, and it's valid to think is infanticide. It's invalid. It's valid to think infanticide is wrong. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, it, it was uh, stunning and they don't to seem me. To want to, yeah, they don't want to admit yeah, it. Yeah, go ahead. Well, it was stunning to me when that even became a conversation. I mean, I, I mean, you're talking about what number of days you can kill a baby. It's like, I mean, you're. It's a yeah, that was so far beyond the pale in my mind. I couldn't, I couldn't even process it. And now Allison Ayn said that there's some people proposing legislation that would you, let you kill a baby after birth. Like 30 days. I know. It's like you can't even return your Ford Bronco 30 days after you get it. <laughs> it's like, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> but Tyler, what do you think is a J.D.? And as someone who follows legal stuff, what do you think of the current thing of the left being perfectly okay with demonstrating and intimidating justices of the Supreme Court that apparently the Biden administration is backing him on because the abortion issue and apparently the people on the left have no problem with that. Tyler, do you have a problem with the protests and the intimidation being used against setting Supreme Court justices? Well, I think, you know, they're all public servants ultimately. And look, I mean, th this highlights their de degeneracy and the double standards. I mean, they have no respect for life. They have no respect for the rule of law. And I'm not saying like law and order rule of law. I mean, this is just, you know, an orderly civil society where, yeah. you know, uh, public officials don't make decisions based on a mob outside their house. And uh, this is this just shows you how debased uh, the radical authoritarian left has become 
uh, and and they can activate that at any time. I mean, and these people are absolutely want to talk about zealots about these issues. Uh, they, they they go bonkers. It's like it's like they're conditioned not to think about the issue, but just to be triggered and activated whenever there's any sort of threat, you know, or, or any sort any sort of possibility of a reasoned, rational, uh, you know, thoughtful uh, treatment of the subject. And it's just and there's no room for that. You know, they have their uh, I don't you know whoever's behind it all. I think there's a there's a the the uh, uh, academic left that I think of poisoned a lot of minds, unfortunately, in this country. And then young people who have been inculcated into this almost cult-like belief system or belief set that uh, you can't, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll literally, uh, like I said, they don't, they don't have no concern. They have no thought of any sort of propriety or the fact that, hey, listen, you know, this guy's doing this public function or these justices do this, but you don't go and harass them in person at their houses uh, and you know, because they they we have a stable system to to some extent, uh, you know, and I think that's part of what they're trying to do is destabilize all of it where anything yeah. goes. Yeah, no, that's right. Have you also noticed how the language of the protests? It's not focusing on protecting the right and this and that. They've created an enthusiasm for killing babies, like libs of TikTok. Yes. Oh my gosh. Played videos of people who are like, I'm going to kill as many. And somebody tweeted that they want to have a baby with such and such and then abort it. It's like, wow. You know, it's one thing to. to that was a writer for the New York Times. Insanity. Must I mean, be, it's insanity, isn't it? You must it? be reading my thoughts, Jason. That yeah. was exactly what I was going to say because I, there's this guy, Odin's Men on TikTok, runs these, like, you know, sort of reviews of different. Uh, and, and ran through this thing where they're talking about, oh, burn the babies to create energy. And, and they're right. all laughing and cackling about it. Right. And it's like, you people are right. warped. I mean, seriously right. warped. Right. Yeah. Yes. And, and that's why I brought up this spirituality thing because it's not an anything goes. But I'd say the, the philosophy. Of ain't no time to hate. You get the yeah. reference, of course, Isla. But ain't no time to hate. I see people hating a lot. A lot of these people, there's nothing positive about it. Yeah. There's nothing. They say, I'm open to reasonable arguments. Yes. But I'm not open to hating babies. Right. Tom Nixon, great conversation. And Jason, good great show. Good to be show. with you guys. An honor. Good to be with you. And good to have a great conversation about Thanks, the news everybody. of the day, which we do here on the show that takes you to the truth beyond the airlines. Jason Goodman, Dimitri Babich, thanks so much for a great conversation from Moscow. Tom Nixon and Jason will be back tomorrow. I will anyway. It would be shocking if everyone else showed up. But on the backstory. story.